let's start off with a little bit of show and tell. Why don't we? So this, this is my cello. I love it. It's a beautiful instrument, don't you think? I mean, it was handcrafted by uh, an artist craftsman. It hollowed it out, made sure that these holes were just right so that the vibrations that ring through it could actually come out of it. Set the neck and the bridge just right so that you could actually play it. Wound the strings so that when the bow comes across it, it sends these little vibrations that go through it and then come out as notes and music. But just because I own the cello doesn't mean that I can actually play Bach's symphonies on it, right? And so I've got the cello. I've got the bow, I've got rosin on my bow, I've, I've got the sheet music, but what am I still missing to make this beautiful instrument actually make beautiful music and sing? What do I need to do? It's not, it's not a trick question, what, what do I need to do? I need to play it, oh, all right. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> Played it. <laughs> you like that? Practice, right? I need to actually know how to play it properly. <laughs> To actually make it sound like something. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. But, but how do you know how to play it? Well, you have to practice it. Practice. I've got to pick it up. I've got to tune it. I've got to fiddle around with it. Start with some of the fundamentals. Play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star until everyone in the house is so sick and tired of it before I can actually move on to something that might be a little bit more advanced. But, but without just picking it up and practicing, well, it just will sit there and collect to dust and sit in the corner. And, and then if I don't practice and I just decide to pick it up and all of a sudden start trying to play one of Bach's symphonies, it sounds not very great. So I've been a cello owner for... Um, over 10 years now. I got my first cello when I was in high school, um, and it was uh, not as nice as that one is. Uh, but uh, in high school, I practiced the cello for about a year, and then I went off to college, and then, well, I didn't bring my cello with me. Stayed in my childhood home, and uh, I never touched the thing for about another decade. Now, I've, I've always owned a cello, it doesn't mean that I've always been a cellist, right? There, there's a difference between those. That, that what makes me a, a cellist is actually being able to play the instrument. And being able to play the instrument means that I have, to, I have to practice. I have to put in the work to be able to do that. And so that, my friends, is how you become a great cello player. 
Thanks for joining us today. Hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Just kidding. Here's, here's where I'm actually going. Here's why I bring this up. Um, so over the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, in this message series, Dude, Where's My Faith? We've been talking about how it seems like we can sort of drift away in our faith. That, that it feels like maybe, maybe one day you've had this, this feeling where you wake up and you realize and you say, where, where is my faith? <laughs> Where, where did I leave my God? Not, not, that I've, not that I've abandoned faith, not, not that I've, I've, I've totally lost it and just, and just have given up on faith. It's not lost. It's just, it seems, it seems misplaced. And maybe you feel like you've, you've drifted away from God, away from your faith. You, you still believe. It's just that you feel like maybe you're miles offshore right now. And you can't see God's obnoxiously colored umbrella on the beach anymore. And so how did I drift away from the cello for 10 years? I stopped playing it for 10 years, for, for a decade, the cello sat in the corner. Now I was still a cello owner, but I wasn't a cellist anymore. Not that I've ever really could be considered a cellist, but, but I've always been a cello owner, but not always a cello player. You get where I'm going with this analogy that you can be, you can be a Christian without being a follower of Jesus. There's, there's a difference in those two things. Being a Christian is easy. You can, you can check the religious box Christian without actually practicing any of Jesus's teachings, like loving your neighbor, like loving your enemy, like generosity, like forgiveness, being a Christian, that that's easy. Cause you said the prayer, you went to camp, you, you got the t-shirt or you just inherited this label Christian from your parents or your grandparents. Being Christian is easy. It's as easy as owning a cello and letting it sit in the corner for 10 years. But, but being a follower of Jesus, whew, that's hard. Actually practicing his teachings and putting them into your daily life, that's hard. That takes work. And maybe, maybe one of the reasons why you feel like you've sort of drifted in your faith is because you've stopped working. And you've just started watching. You, you've stopped doing the work of the kingdom of God. And you've just been content to sit and watch. You, you've stopped doing the work of the kingdom of heaven. And instead, you've just been watching and waiting for heaven to come. You've stopped seeking justice. You've stopped forgiving You've stopped being generous and hospitable and merciful. You've, you've stopped serving. You've stopped inviting. You've stopped praying. And now you're asking, dude, where's my faith? Well, where'd you leave it? Maybe you need to retrace your steps and you might find it tucked in the couch of your lazy boy where you lost the TV remote. Because you've just been so consumed to just watch. Watch the, the needs of the world pass by. Hunger, violence, injustice, isolation, addiction, poverty, unforgiveness, broken relationships. You've just been watching everything go by, but, but not actually working. Or, or you've been watching church 
You, you've been watching the, the Christian thing, but not actually working at it. Jesus said this in Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was just teaching and doing a bunch of healings. And it says this, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. It means like his stomach was just upset in knots. He had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, said this, he said, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. You catch this? It's not that there's a lack of work. It's that there's a lack of workers. It's not that there's a lack of work to be done, but there's a lack of people who are willing to do the work. There's plenty to be harvested, but who will do it? It's all, all the workers are just too busy watching and waiting for someone else to do the work. Or look at this. This is what God tells uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, centuries before Jesus. And so this is, this is God speaking through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. This is how, how the book of Isaiah starts. God's, God's speaking here. Isaiah chapter 1. It says, God says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. <laughs> Your incense is detestable to me, God says. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, all, all the times you gather together, I hate with all my being. God hates something. Did you know that? They have become a burden to me and I am weary of bearing them. God goes on and says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn, God says, to do right Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, if faith is only about assemblies and attendance, merely listening, then God isn't listening to us. God, God hates to just assemble without actually putting it into practice. You can know all the right words. You can find chapter and verse. You can know all of the songs. But if there's no follow through, God's not impressed with what you do. You see, for God, it's, it's all about application. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. And maybe, maybe you've had these conversations with your non-Christian friends or, or family members. Or, or maybe you, you're, you don't really fit the title Christian. Maybe you don't consider yourself that because, because it seems like the only difference between Christian and non-Christians is that Christians go to church. They show up for an hour, endure a sermon, ugh, maybe even take notes during it. Hey, 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 that, that's all right, but they still act like everyone else. 
They still lie like everyone else. They still cheat like everyone else. They still abuse drugs and alcohol like everyone else. They still lust like everyone else. They still lie and talk like everyone else. They, they look exactly like everyone else, except for the one fact that for one hour a week, they go somewhere else to church. But it doesn't seem to make much of a difference in their lives. And so you know what sets a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, apart from the rest of the world and, and all of that stuff in the Bible about lying and cheating and loving and hospitality and, and all of that stuff. What sets us apart is when we actually apply that, when, when we actually do it. Your, your integrity, your honesty, your compassion, your love, your acceptance, your generosity, your forgiveness, your actions are what set you apart. So here's, here's what James, the brother of Jesus, says. I, I love this, but it, it, it hurts. James says this. We talked about this a little bit last week. Says this in James chapter 1. He says, you must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. Application always. James says application, not, not attendance. Application is what makes all of the difference. Believing is great. Attendance is great. But application is what makes all of the difference. So you're saying I can't just show up and I get my gold star from God and smiley face on my report card. No, it's so much more than that. Listen to what James says next. And, and this is so important for us. It's like James is, is a modern day writer. He, James was way ahead of his time. He says this in verse 23. He says, those who hear, but don't do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. They look at themselves, walk away and immediately forget what they were like. Now, James is using hyperbole here because, well, nobody would actually do this. And I know it's kind of dark in here, but um, I can tell that none of you all did this this morning because you all look, you look pretty good. You look pretty put together. I mean, you know, con congrats. Way to go on that. It doesn't seem like any of you woke up this morning with your crazy bed head and your bad breath and all of that stuff. You looked in the mirror and said, ugh, that doesn't look good. Meh, oh well, and walked out the door. I can tell you all did not do that. You see, because when, once we get into mid middle school and some things start changing, we start to pay a little bit more attention to our appearance. I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm in vain, um, too vain. But, but in the morning, I, I don't wake up and look and say, oh man, my hair's a mess, my breast stinks, I need to go to the gym. Meh, oh well, and walk out the door. But see, here's, here's the thing that, that James is digging at says, you're, you're like a person who hears a sermon, reads a Bible, and goes, oh, wow, I need to make a change. This, this does not look good. I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing that. I, I really need to help those who are less fortunate. I really need to be more generous. I really need to forgive that person. I need to be less selfish. Oh, oh wow, none of this on the inside looks good, but meh, oh, well. I'll go just as I am. I'm not going to do anything about it. You see, James's message is, is simple. He says, look, look in the mirror and then make a change. 
It's not about what you intend to do. It's not about what you ought to do, not about what you should do, but what you actually do, what you actually apply that makes all of the difference. It's all about application always. And so instead of just looking in the mirror and going, oh, wow, and then walking away unchanged, this is what James says in the next verse. He says, but there are those, there's another option. There are those who study the perfect law or, or look, look intently at the perfect law. Whoever, whoever keeps looking into the mirror, into the thing that, that puts a mirror up to our hearts and our souls, whoever looks into the mirror facing what they see about themselves, whoever studies, whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the law of freedom and continue to do it. Now, just pause here. I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but whenever I think of, of perfect law, I, I don't think about freedom. I, I think about all the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. The freedom is not the first thing that comes to mind. When I think of law, I think of, I think of restrictions. I think of, I think of limitations. I, I think of being constrained. I think, I think not fun when I hear law. It's rules. And, and if I think about applying the scriptures, then, then I think, well, that means not more freedom. That means less freedom. Cause it means I have to give up some things or give away some things. And so how can James say that the perfect law leads to freedom? Oh, back to the cello. If I want to actually be able to play this beautiful instrument, it, it means that I'm going to have to say no to some things. I'm going to have to put some constraints on some things. It means that I can't just binge watch Netflix every night for a whole season of Stranger Things, you know? It means I have to get off my phone and get off social media, and I have to pick the thing up, and I have to actually practice and get on with it. If one day I'm going to have the freedom, not just the ability, but the freedom and the joy to actually play beautiful music. So think, think of it this way, forgiveness, right? That's like one of the big things that Christians ought to be known for. But, but forgiveness, that doesn't seem freeing, doesn't seem joyful at the time. Because somebody has wronged me, what do I want to do? I, I want to pay them back. I want to go eye for an eye on them. Or I'm going to wait until they come crawling to me on their knees begging for forgiveness, and maybe you've tried that. And let's be honest. Do you find that you had some freedom, some liberation during that time? Or, or did it just stoke the flames of your anger? Did you find that just holding on to that grudge just made you more bitter and more cynical? I, I mean, I've been a Christian long enough and following the ways of Jesus long enough to know that, that his brother, James, is absolutely right. I don't always get it right. I don't always follow the, the perfect law, but when I try to apply God's law, the teachings of Jesus, the spiritual practices that we've been given, I, I do find that there is actually liberation in it. That there is freedom in it. And it's true of all of this, right? Generosity, give some of my money, give some of my stuff away. That, that's mine. I earned it. I worked hard for it. But I've learned again, James is right. 
That, that if I'm committed to generosity, cultivating generosity in my life, I, I found freedom in that. Confession, ugh, nobody likes to do that. Confession, that, that's, that's an embarrassing thing to do. But when I'm on the other side of it, after I've been forgiven, the embarrassment is gone, the guilt is gone. And you know what I'm left with? I'm left with freedom and liberation from that sin. You see, in, in the application of it, there is freedom. So James continues on. We got to keep moving. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he goes on, he says, they don't listen and then forget, but they put it into practice in their lives. They will be blessed in whatever they do. Another word for blessed is happy. They, they will be truly happy. If you do these things, if you apply the teachings of Jesus to your daily life, you will be happy. Now, don't you want to know the key to happiness? Here it is, James says. <laughs> Follow the ways of Jesus. You'll be happy. It's going to be hard. Yeah. But you'll be happy. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus taught all these things about forgiveness and, and generosity and trust and, and working towards justice. All of that seems so hard. And hard doesn't make me happy. I'm kind of a lazy person, right? Hard doesn't make me happy. James says, but if you continue in it, not forgetting what you have heard, but by doing it, applying it, you will be blessed. You will be happy because you will have found freedom in it. One last passage scripture, and then I'll be done. It says this in first John, uh, the epistle of John. He says, this is how we know love. This is how we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what love looks like. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but refuses to help, look at this. How can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Ugh. He says, little children <laughs> talking to us, little children. Let's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts in God's presence. How can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Apathetic, indifferent, callous, uncaring, inactive. A person who just, who just watches. You know, maybe, maybe you feel like you've drifted from God because you've stopped working towards the kingdom of heaven and you've just been watching, watching the world. You know, John says, he says, people, people like that, like liars. He says, how, 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 can you, how can you claim belief in God, but, but there's no difference in your actual life? Well, he says, you're, you're a liar. The term that we would use is, is hypocrite, right? And if you, if you hate religious hypocrites, well, good news. You have something in common with Jesus. Because that was the one thing, the one group of people that Jesus had the hardest time with. The people that thought that they had it all figured out, but in their daily lives, there was no difference. Instead, Jesus said, 
Jesus said, everybody will know that you are my disciples by your love. Not, not by your belief, not by your church attendance. Everybody will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love. And maybe likewise, maybe we will know ourselves if we are one of Jesus's disciples, not just Christian, but if we are one of Jesus's disciples by the way that we love. And maybe if we feel like we've drifted off course, if we've, if we've lost our way in following Jesus, maybe, maybe we need to check our love. Maybe we need to check what it is that our love looks like out to the world. Let's pray together. And so holy and gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. God, that you, you went to the cross, you laid down your life for us. And then when you rose and were resurrected, you invited us into that same resurrection life that we are caught up in right now. And so God, we pray that your spirit would be poured out into our hearts. That your grace would wash over us, cleanse us of any sin, any shame, any guilt. And may we find freedom and liberation in you to follow you. Pray that your spirit be poured out on these gifts of bread and cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus so that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Lord, make us one with you, one with one another, and one with our hearts set on a mission and ministry, a passion for your kingdom come to earth. And God, put our hands and our feet to that work. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.